Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon, the unique blend of hunting, fishing, wildlife conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Taurus, award-winning pistols and revolvers. Mossberg, American-built, American-strong. And the Red 55 Winery in Lindell, Texas. Signature wines of Grammy Award-winning country artist Miranda Lambert and owned by Rick and Beverly Lambert. Welcome to today's episode, but before we get into it, you know, the last couple of weeks I've been telling you about a book that Luke Clayton and I have done called Campfire Talk, and I forward done for us by Mr. Jim Zumbo, a really old and dear friend. Luke and I decided a few months ago to put together a book of some of our more more or less favorite stories about hunting, fishing, the outdoors, a little bit about cooking and, and a few other things, hoping that we might be able to entertain you with those chapters, all 41 of them, but also maybe to impart a little bit of knowledge of things that we've learned over the last many years of being in the outdoors. Now, that book, as I've told you in the past, is available through catfishradio.org. That's C-A-T-F-I-S-H-R-A-D-I-O dot O-R. And I think you'll be really pleased with that book. And if you get in touch with us there, you can buy it. And both Luke and I will autograph it for you and get it to you in a very readily available fashion, the quickest way that we can get it to you once we get your information and and you place the order. But I also need to tell you that in the very near future, possibly by next week, I will have another book available. And that one is called... A Deer Addiction, or rather maybe Deer Addictions. I'm still in the last stages of getting that book done in terms of the title, but it's going to be a compilation of about 30 or so stories about hunting North American white-tailed deer, mule deer, Coos white-tailed deer, Sitka blacktail, and Colombian blacktail, the five different species of North American deer, if you will. And it, too, is going to be available through catfishradio.org, but also will be available soon on Amazon and through uh, Sporting Classic Books and who knows where all. I'll 
try to tell you and keep you informed either here on our podcast or some of the other places that I'm involved in to let you know where these books can be available. And again, you talk about an absolutely fantastic Christmas present that's coming up before too very long. And whether it's for somebody you really care about in terms that loves the outdoors or somebody you want to introduce to the outdoors, these two are absolutely fantastic books. So Really look forward to hearing from you about the books and hopefully you'll send a comment or two to let us know how you think about them. And with that said, let's get on with today's episode. All right. Here we go. We're with uh, a gentleman from New York, and I'll have you introduce yourself as to who you are and who you're with, and then we'll go from there, Al. Well, thanks, Larry. My name is Dan Ladd. I'm with New York Outdoor News. Uh, Outdoor News Publications has seven papers in the Great Lakes states, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and of course, New York. And uh, it's a pleasure to chat with you. I am the editor of the New York paper and uh, looking forward to talking with you. And I hope you're looking forward to talking with me. And would you like me to start with my questions for you? I would love for you to do so. And welcome to my podcast, which is DSC's Campfires with Larry Weissoon. And please go ahead. We'll start right now if you're ready. We, we like campfires. And yeah. uh, I've been up in the Adirondack region of upstate New York for the last four days. In fact, I live in the southeastern Adirondacks. And uh, I went to the northern Adirondacks, a very boreal type of area, uh, somewhat like up there in Maine where Randy is um, without all the logging. But um Anyways, my question is for you, Larry. We'll start. How did you become Larry Wyson? How did you get started? You know, how did you get where you are today? <laughs> it, it goes back to a time when my dad and granddad carried me around on their back while I was still in diapers, hunting and fishing here in Texas. And of course, they instilled with me within me a, a desire and a love of the outdoors. And and I guess from that is where it really kind of started. Then ended up. Oh, going to Texas A&M University, going to work for the Wildlife Disease Project while I was still an undergraduate and uh, worked as a biologist for numerous years in terms of uh, statewide biologist in whitetail deer research and wildlife disease research, as well as doing work with things like desert bighorns and alligators and all those other kind of good things. And um, after several years, the state uh, I decided to leave after spending several years there as a technical assistance biologist setting up wildlife management programs on properties across the southern third of the state and finally got an opportunity to leave the state when they called one morning and says, hey, we got great news for you. We're going to move you to the Austin headquarters office. I picked up my phone and shortly thereafter called my wife and said, I'm quitting the state. And uh, she says, what? She says, all you've ever talked about is being a wildlife biologist. Says, well, I'm going to continue doing that, but I don't want to live in Austin and live in and have to work out of a, the headquarters for all those, you know, for the rest of my career. So we started our own consulting company and about the same time too, I'd been doing a fair amount of writing. And uh, so the writing and the, the uh, I guess the wildlife management background, and we continue doing lots of uh, management programs and a lot being very involved in a lot of different white-tailed deer and other wildlife research. So I guess that's kind of where it all kind of started when you get really right down to it and you eventually i remember you with the north american hunting club way back in the day i mean you you've 
tied yourself up with a lot of different entities over the course of your career, some that have come and gone, correct? I have. You know, you're right. I was very much involved. I was a whitetail columnist for starters at, at North American Hunter. And then we started doing the uh, You Call the Shots that we did for a long time for their TV show. And in the process of all that as well, too, I did a lot of work with Realtree when they were first getting their TV show started and then kind of basically did the same thing while I was on the Bass Pro Redhead Pro Hunting team where we did a lot of out outdoor television as well. So, uh, yes, I've been involved with a lot of different publications, served on staff with everything from like Peterson's hunting to deer and deer hunting to sporting classics to a whole bunch of others. And uh, then also freelance to a tremendous number of people. And and then two years ago, we, we did the NRA Great American Hunters Tour back in the 90s where we traveled around the country doing uh, auto audiovisual type things to a great number number of people and, and vision with a lot of different hunters. And at that point, NRA was very much involved with hunting and maybe not so much as what they are these days, but uh, got an opportunity to spend a lot of time and, and worked across the country and got to play across the country as well, too. So what's occupying your time now professionally? <laughs> professionally, I actually do the DSC's Campfires podcast. I do a podcast called uh, – uh, campfires with Luke and Larry on Sporting Classics. I do a weekly radio show with Luke Clayton that's also a, a podcast. Then, uh, among other things, I have for a long time served as the ambassador of the Dallas Safari Club DSC, promoting everything that they do in terms of conservation, education, and, and um, uh, hunter advocacy, and, and do a lot of evening talks, uh, still write a substantial amount, still serve on staff with a few magazines, but do a lot of freelancing, a lot of blogging. And uh, like I said, everything that I can do to promote wildlife management and to explain why hunting is so very important to all wildlife, not just the animals that we hunt, but uh, all the different species that are out there and more importantly, the habitat itself. Excellent. So what's your 2023 hunting season look like? 2023 has been really good in that we did a spring bear hunt earlier this year in um, northern Alberta, just below the Northwest Territories border. Had a great time up there, and I just now got back from a hunt in uh, California, in the wine country of California, hunting in the vineyards at the um, Steinbeck Vineyard, which is an unbelievably fabulous place, tremendous deer herd, and was able to take a really nice mature uh, buck with a drop tine, actually, which I've not seen very often, in, in uh, particularly with uh, the uh, uh, Colombian blacktail uh, subspecies or species of deer. And then beyond that, we've got a hunt coming up in Alberta. I've got a bunch of Texas hunts coming up, also hunting Missouri, and I'll spend some time in Oklahoma as well, too. So we've got a, lots of whitetail deer hunting coming up. It uh, really starts in about a month or so. It starts about the 1st of October. Good for you. Um, what did you experience during COVID and what have you seen changed in the industry since then? We saw some changes in COVID. Number one, I think one of the things that the, there's always a silver lining behind every black cloud, and certainly that was a black cloud in, in many ways. But I think one of the things that people learned is that food comes not necessarily from the grocery store. It comes from, from the earth itself. And as there was very little in terms of really good food and sometimes meat and vegetables, uh, I think we have seen a great change in people becoming more uh, aware 
aware that, uh, hey, I can also harvest my own wild game. I can harvest my own fish and all those other things and have a great time doing it while that's going on. So uh, I, I think that's kind of the best thing that came out of COVID when you really got right down to it. just an awareness of where our food does come from and that we are capable in terms of being able to produce and to harvest our own animals. Beyond that, uh, it, I think it really cut back on international travel. I know it did in my instance. I used to go to Africa every year and that kind of put a quietus on my traveling in Africa for a while, but that's just purely from a personal perspective. Interesting. Let's talk hunting guns and cartridges. Uh, there's a lot of new options out there. Are you using them? And if so, <laughs> What do, your, what do you like or not like about certain rounds? Uh, we are very fortunate. We live at a time when we've got some of the best hunting rounds, best optics, best rifles. People are really paying attention to triggers and barrels and all those other kind of things. And we've seen in the last few years a, a kind of proliferation of a lot of new cartridges and to where I think part of this comes down to the the, the long-range interest there is in, in shooting at long-range, hopefully not in long-range hunting. But uh, I've had the opportunity to use a lot of the PRC cartridges, like the 7-millimeter PRC that recently came out, the 300 PRC, and the uh, 6.5 PRC, all absolutely great cartridges. But when you get right down to it, it's, it's like looking at the uh, 6.5 Creedmoor, which they're either you're either in the, the court – that loves them or, you know, in the court that doesn't love them. But basically that was the first 6.5 cartridge that has done well in the U.S. We've had the 6.5 by 55 Swede around for a long time. That actually, when you get right down to it, is, is probably a better round because of what you can do with it. And uh, But we had a tremendous amount of publicity about the Creedmoor and, and with these new cartridges as well, too. But I'll also tell you that I dearly love the old cartridges. I love the old 270, the 07 by 57 or 275 Rigby, however you want to call it, uh, old 300 Wind Mag, you know, 30-06. A lot of these rounds now have been around for 100 years or so and when you get right down to it for the average guy that hunts they will do any and everything that some of these new cartridges that we have available uh, to us now do but you've always got to have something new in in creating new interest hopefully especially among new shooters new hunters with uh, some of these newer cartridges that they have what I love about them I love all of them I really do there's not any of those cartridges that we've had come out lately or even some of the older ones that I don't think or, or that I I think I just simply think they're they're good cartridges all the way across and we've come to the point now particularly like through Hornady with the development of the, the PRC cartridges and then using a variety of, of powders and doing a tremendous amount of research as far as the bullet uh, shapes and you know getting down to the ballistic coefficients and all those other kind of things we're, we're living at the very best at times when it comes to cartridges as far as hunting as far as shooting is concerned do you spend a lot of time on public land i get to hunt public land uh a little bit every year i live in texas where we're probably 95 percent privately owned so the last year or so i've spent more time in texas but yes i've hunted a lot of the uh, uh blm lands uh, uh probably more they those kind than anything else in the past and hunted those for white tail mule deer elk 
you know, and a variety of other black bear and a variety of other species. So we've got a little bit of public land that kind of lives, uh, or lives, <laughs> that is kind of northwest of, I'm sorry, northeast of where I live now and in the W. Crockett National Forest and uh, National Grasslands. And yes, I've hunted those and I try to make, every year, try to make a trip somewhere into the public land arena, if you will. What are your thoughts on the recent corner crossing verdict in Wyoming? Are you familiar with that? I, I am a little bit, not enough yet to where I can really truly address it. We've dealt with some of these things in the past, uh, both in, as a manager of properties uh, for wildlife, both in Colorado and New Mexico. And uh, there, to me, it just kind of depends on which side of the fence you're on. If you're a, a private landowner, you know, that's one thing. If you're a public land hunter, it's another thing. So uh, the good thing is with, with some of the programs that we have available now via computer or our phones, we know exactly where those corners lie. And as opposed to in the past, there was a little bit of a guess sometimes. So at least we got that working for us. Great. One final question. Uh, what are your perspectives on the future of hunting? The future of hunting is, I think, is good in a lot of different ways. I'm not one of these naysayers or, you know, gloom and doom type things. Uh, I know that here, and, and I come back to Texas because we do have a lot of hunters here. We have a good understanding through organizations such as the Texas Wildlife Association that uh, I helped start back in 1985. I was founder of it. And we have we have a Texas youth hunting group that we've created within that. And over the years, we have taken something upwards of 80,000 kids on basically on their first hunts. And so with those kind of programs and other programs going on in the state and to me also, we're seeing a, a greater number of, of women getting into hunting with that happening to me, there is a there is a brighter future than there might have been a little while ago, and so I think in the long term, I think we'll always see hunting maybe a little bit differently from what we've we've seen it in the past, and uh, with limited access in certain instances. But a lot of times when we address hunting, people forget they think in terms of hunting deer, they think hunting bear, elk, all those kind of things. The the small game hunting is something that is alive and well, and it really needs to be come even a little bit more alive because it's absolutely great fun you, you, to hunt you don't need to go out and kill a deer you can go out and hunt rabbits in a lot of areas you can hunt squirrels in a lot of areas upland game birds and of course waterfowl as well too and i i think as we if we think in terms of getting more people out involved with small game hunting as well as big game hunting or waterfowl hunting i really think that's an avenue that we need to you know really kind of moving into the future but overall you know there are a lot of negatives uh, or people see hunting in a negative but also I think they're starting to realize that uh, and hopefully they will do more so and I really kind of blame some of ourselves for not being more vocal and being better in explaining how whenever we do anything to manage a species say for deer elk 
mule deer, whatever that game species is or game bird, what we do is we greatly increase the habitat and all wildlife benefits. Now, there's no doubt, based on what we've seen in, in, in Africa and other areas, whenever you remove that economic incentive of having wildlife, wildlife suffers and, and dies, quite frankly. So uh, if people truly are interested in wildlife, as they say, then hunting has to be a very important part and play an important role in the perpetuation of habitat and perpetuation of species. And it's wildlife management, it's conservation. Wildlife conservation is the wise use of anytime you simply try to preserve something, you kill it. But if you conserve it, that means you're wisely using all the different aspects of it to produce in terms of vegetation, in terms of animals, and a great variety of, of vegetation and a great variety of animals as well, too. So to me, the future of hunting, hunting is going to be here uh, as we move forward. It has to be if we love wildlife. You've given me uh, a lot of good answers. Uh, you're going to challenge me to edit these. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I may, if it's okay with you, I might use this interview on uh, my podcast as well. I, absolutely. Um, I'd, I'd be honored if you did. Uh, I'll see. Uh, I haven't done much with that. I've always recorded through this um, Zencaster thing. But, right. Uh, but um, let me see how that works out, and I think it'd be great. I interviewed a gentleman, uh, conservation director of Bassmasters, the other day, right on scene up there at a tournament, and I wanted to try that as well. So I'm experimenting with that. Um, Larry, I appreciate you taking the time here with me. Is there anything I can do for you to, for what you're working on? Not really. I, I, I appreciate the offer very much is just to, to continue to try to spread the word that how important hunting is and that hunting is important as far as butterflies and as far as songbirds and all those other things are concerned. Because if we do not manage the wildlife habitat for the game species, then we will certainly lose and generally will lose in a greater percentage and a greater amount uh, butterflies and insects and all those other things that that are really important as far as wildlife is concerned, whether it's from a food perspective or whether it's from a perspective of people loving to see and listen to songbirds and, you know, see butterflies kind of thing. Great. Well, Larry, thanks again. Um, I look forward to hopefully meeting you one day and, uh, and, spending some time with you and maybe even see up to Randy sometime, you know? Let's, let's try to see if we can't make that happen. I'd love to sit around the campfire with you. And too, if there's anything else I can do to help or if you need any other information that I might be able to provide, just send me an email and, and we'll go you from there. It. You got it. Well, thank you again, Larry. I appreciate it so much. And I appreciate you, sir. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, a little bit different kind of uh, podcast today with uh, the gentleman that I mentioned or that I spoke with a few minutes ago. Wildlife management is so important. Wildlife conservation is what I should be saying. And the, again, conservation is the wise use of the wise use of the habitat of the species 
of all the species that are there that includes all kinds of wildlife. And, and honestly, a lot of times I've told people that uh, if you have a small yard, you are a wildlife contributor. You can, you can do so much for the, the, the little critters that are there, whether it's the pollinators or whether it's the butterflies or the songbirds. And it doesn't need to be a huge chunk of land. Uh, anybody that even plants a flower in, the, in their backyard or even in just a pot and sets it outside where, you know, some kind of butterfly or pollinator can get to it, you're contributing to wildlife. Uh, with all that said, uh, we're all involved, regardless whether we're hunters, whether we're fishermen, whether we, we just kind of like to look at wildlife. But I will also tell you that if it wasn't for the hunter who pays for conservation or the fisherman who pays for conservation, it's uh, we're going to lose wildlife. And we're not just going to lose the, the game species. We'll probably lose some of the non-game species before we do that. And again, that includes the butterflies and the birds. So if you love wildlife, I strongly recommend that you go out and buy a hunting license and encourage anybody who loves wildlife to do the same thing. And if we do that and do it jointly and keep an open mind, whether you're a hunter or not, and we'll have wildlife long into the future. So really appreciate y'all being with me this morning for this little bit of a different kind of a, a podcast and uh, look forward to having y'all back right here next week. And again, if you have any questions about anything, please get in touch with us. You can always uh, go to any one of my Facebook pages, particularly Larry Weissen, just my personal page, or uh, there's also a public page as well too, or uh, even with Instagram or whatever, please get in touch with me and I'll be more than happy to try to answer any questions that you might have. So please join us right back here next week for no telling where we'll be. Hopefully next time I won't be quite so tired of just coming back from a long trip and uh, it's been a long week already. So y'all join us right back here again next week. Thank you. DSC's Campfires has also been brought to you by the Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas. Habit, our gear, your adventure. The Texas Wildlife Association, Double Nickel Taxidermy, Burnham Brothers Game Calls, and H3 Whitetail Solutions.